Okay, so we're going to have a look at John 17. Now, if, if you're new, um, we basically go through the Bible and you'll find a little Bible in front of you. It's a blue one like this. So basically, the idea is you can check what I'm saying and you can say, you can read and think, mm, it doesn't say that, Louise. And that's fine, okay? We've all got a brain. Um, the Bible tells us we've got the mind of Christ, so we're all looking together. I don't have all the answers. I just have a few and then you'll probably have much better thoughts than me as we go through it. So it's John 17 and um, you can find that on page 1085, and uh, John is one of the four Gospels. Um, Gospels are literally just accounts of Jesus' life, and as we've said before, if you've been here, John's account is a little bit different to everybody else's account, because it's not sort of chronological, and this happened, and this happened, but more John is setting out to prove to his reader, his reader and readers, I want you to carry on believing. I want you to be certain that what you've been told is true, that it's the truth. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you that by giving you all these different examples of things that Jesus did and things that Jesus said to further convince you and increase your faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that what you've come to believe, that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, is true. Okay, so this week, John 17, I'm just going to do part one, so the first little bit, and then next week, Dan will do part two. So I'm doing, what has Jesus done for us? Okay, just so you know. Um, So here in John 17, you can just put your Bible on your knee, um, we're just hours from the cross, Okay, so I want you to kind of picture that. This is right at the end, and we hear that the hour has come. It's upon them. It can't get any closer. Through the whole of John, we've been hearing the hour's not here, the hour's not here, the hour's not here. That means the time has not, the thing that Jesus came to do is not yet here. And here we hear the hour has come. It's here. We're ready to go, rock and roll. It's before him, cross, just hours away. And we have in John's Gospel recorded a prayer of Jesus. We don't get much of Jesus' prayers. We had one around the time of Lazarus when he rose, um, when he resurrected Lazarus from the dead and he prayed and it was all about Jesus, you know, this is so that they would see your glory, so they would see who you are. And then we have another little glimpse of a prayer when Jesus is talking to the Greek Jews and he says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And Jesus prays for the, the Father at this point, um, not that he'd be saved from the hour, that he'd be saved from the cross, but uh, rather um, that this was the very reason he came. Why did Jesus come to earth? go to the cross. And he prays that. And then the third one here is the most extensive one that you'll find. It's really nice and long. Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his disciples and he prays for us today. Um, And it's kind of like a glimpse in, you know, I always say, you know, when you want to really know someone, (coughs) if you pray with them, you get a glimpse, don't you? (coughs) That's why if you have a fight with your husband or wife and you sit down to pray together, all the pretense is off because you're not talking to each other now. You're talking to God. And that's where you see real honesty. Um, and that's so helpful in a marriage, isn't it? If you've had a bit of a Barney, to not only just talk about it, but say, right, now we're going to pray about it. And then there's some real honesty comes on the table. And it's humbling. 
humbling. I, I know that with me and Rob, if we do that, there's an awful lot of sorries are coming out now where we've been, ooh, a bit defensive. No, no. We know before God we've got nothing. And, and Jesus here, he knows his life's about to end. Now, for you, you know, if your life was going to end this afternoon, yeah, you've got to think, you know, what kind of things would you be praying for? They say, don't they, that if you're about to die, your life flashes before you. Um, and when I thought about, oh, what would I pray if I knew, like, this afternoon, that was it. And my immediate thought went to my family. I just couldn't think of anything else. Immediately, I went to the girls. Jesus, I just want you to look after them. And Jesus does a similar thing, doesn't he? He, In this prayer, he's going to review his life a bit, but he's also going to pray for the ones, his family, that he loves. And he's going to pray for their protection. And that's exactly what I did when I was thinking about what I would say. Okay. So let's read um, chapter 17. So we've got it on our knees, and we're going to read 1 to 6, okay? And then we'll we'll have a little look at that together. Then we'll read the next bit. (coughs) So sorry, I've got a bit of a cough. Okay, so it starts with, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son and your Son, that your Son may may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Verse 6, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. So we'll pause there and we'll come back to it in a minute. So point number one, Jesus has revealed God's glory. That's what he's done. He's looking back. He says, I've done it. I revealed your glory. And in this prayer, we get glory nine times. Um, And it's glory for himself and it's glory for the Father. And it's about to be shown. Glory, the Greek word, it means to make renowned, to cause the dignity and worth of someone to become manifest. So if you want a really, really simple glory, that you'd see what they're really like. You see what they're really like, okay? Quite simply, it's like to unveil or uncover (coughs) what someone really is. So if you have those programs where they're like doing a makeover or something of somebody, or they're doing a makeover of um, someone's house, and it's like a 60-minute makeover, and it's a bit like a bit of blue tack here and there, and da-da, you get it revealed, don't you? The big reveal. But this is a little bit different because Jesus has been revealing bits of him all the time. Every time he did something, he revealed like a piece of the puzzle. Remember last week we had the cross, and when you've got enough pieces of the puzzle, you can see, oh, it's the cross. Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, he is God. So we've got a little bit of that. We've seen glimpses all the way along. And those around him who were closest to him, his friends, his disciples, they've seen the most of him. If you think now for a moment about your best friends, 
okay? So that could be a partner, or it could be, I don't know, it could be a brother or sister or someone else. Your best friend. And how well you know them. You know them well because you've seen them probably over a long period of time react to situations. Because that shows you who they are. When they uh, have grief in their life, and you see the reaction, that gives you an indication of who they are. When they have joy in their life, and you see their reaction, that reveals a bit of who they are, doesn't it? It's not really about what they look like. If you think about it, who is your friend? I bet very little of what you thought of started going, well, they've got brown hair. That's not who they are. They could change, just like, you know, you marry someone and they change in the way that they look till they're like 95 and they're looking a little bit different. And yet the person says, oh, she's still the same girl I married. (laughs) Yeah? Why? (laughs) Because it's not about what they look like. It's about who they are. It's about their character. 1,500 years before Jesus, we have Moses and the Israelites. And what do they see of his character? Well, they never see him, do they? They see his character and how he acts towards them, how he rescues them. Moses says, show me your glory. And we're thinking, what's that look like? Is it radiant? No, not at all. What does God reveal? His character. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. That's what he's revealing. And Moses only sees a little glimpse of this because God says, if you see any more, it's too much for you. Show me your glory. And here in John, in the very opening paragraph, John writes, the word, and that's his word for God, became flesh and lived amongst us. And we have seen his glory. We've seen him. Something that could not possibly happen in the Old Testament. You die, just saw the tail end, God passes before you. No, we have seen him. We've seen his glory. We've seen who Jesus really is. When the angels came, they announced to the shepherds, you know, glory to God. This is going to show God's glory and it's going to bring peace on earth. If we look at John 2, 11, you can just wiggle back a bit. All right. So that's 1065. Just just wiggle. Keep your hand in 17. Jesus is at the wedding of Canaan and he's he's there turning the water into wine. And what does it say? What Jesus did here at Cana in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory who he was. He's starting to reveal who he is. Here, chapter 17, verse 4 and 5, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me. Show them who I am. I've shown them who you are. Show them who I am. I've finished it. The glory that I had with you before the world began. I want to have that again. And then verse 6, Jesus prays, similar sort of words, I've revealed you. Uncover your glory. Jesus is really clear that the cross is going to be the big reveal. Okay, We've seen every time he did a miracle, every time he rose someone from the dead, turned water into wine, 
cast out demons, whatever he's done, it's a reveal. It's a reveal. It's showing a little bit more about who Jesus is. But the cross is the ultimate. The cameras, the people go wild. Whatever ideas we have about who God is, it's got to match up with this moment. Because this is the ultimate reveal of who God is. If we have an idea of God and we think, I don't really like God because he's like this, or he's like this, or he's like this. You've got to look at the cross and say, is that God like this? And if it's not, then that's not God. Because the cross is the ultimate reveal. If you think about your mum, you know your mum really well. Okay. Now I want you to think about the thing most unlike her in her character to do. Something so bizarre, so off the chart. In a million years, she would never do it. Okay. Some of you are a bit embarrassed. <laughs> now imagine someone comes to tell you that she's done that. You wouldn't believe them. You know your mum. It's not matching up. And that's my cousin Jesus. If what the picture we have of God doesn't match the cross. That's not our God. That's not our God. So here we have, on the cross, we see a God of justice. So we don't see um, a God on a cloud with a big white beard going, oh dear, that's a bit of a mess. Oh well, off we go. That's not what we see. Here we have a God who cares. He will punish bad things. He's not going to overlook it. But we also see a God who supremely at this moment we see is full of love. And that love outweighs any sin we could possibly think of, imagine, or do. In the cross we see God's character that he spoke of to, to Moses. His mercy, compassion, kindness of our God. In just a few hours, Jesus will cry, it's finished. It's done. The cross is before Jesus, and it's the place where we see justice and mercy. Jesus will be whipped, scourged, humiliated, tortured, nailed, and he will offer his life to make a way for us to know God. Because his love is going to far outweigh anything we could ever think of, imagine, or do. He'll offer his life as a ransom, a payment for sin. For who? Let's look at verse 2 a minute. For you've granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Why does Jesus get authority over all people? So that he can save all people. What's it say? He didn't come into the world to judge it, but to save it. This is the good news of Jesus. He loves us. In Romans, remember, you know, that famous verse, the wages of sin, the consequence of our sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift that God longs to give to all people is eternal life. So let's look at um, what eternal life means. Now, this is eternal life, Jesus says earlier, that they know you, the 
only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, this is eternal life. Verse 3. Very simple. What's eternal life? What is it? That they know you. That's the Father. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. You know, if you don't know God, you don't have eternal life. It's so simple. There's no other way to know God but through the death of Jesus. Jesus, in chapter 14, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one, comes to the Father except through me. You can't have Jesus without God. You can't have God without Jesus. You might know something of God. God is revealed around us in creation. We see glimpses of him. It's like those little bits of the puzzle. But to fully know God at his fullest is to see him in Jesus. And when we get there, you can't say, oh, I'd like to come into heaven, but I don't want Jesus. Because Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We're the same. I'm the Father are one. You cannot come to the Father except through me. And that is uncomfortable. It's not something we want to say, but it's never, you know, it's not new. We're not like, oh, suddenly we're in this century and it's a really bad thing to say. Disciples died for their faith. It had something to do with this. It's never been comfortable. So, point number one, Jesus has shown us his glory. And when we come to that moment when we're facing death, we will be saying, Jesus, God, thank you that you allowed me to show a bit of who you were. That I've done what you asked me to do. Just a thought. Okay, point number two. What has Jesus done? Verse eight. Let's read on. <clears throat> For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except one doomed for destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. <clears throat> so let's crack on. The words. Jesus has done the work that God gave him to do through his deeds, and that's going to be fine in the cross, but also through the words. How can we know God? We see him, we look at him, and we listen to what he said. No matter how we feel about them. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about sometimes Beck comes up to me. She says, Mum, can I have a biscuit? I say, no, you can't have a biscuit. We don't have any biscuits. But no, she doesn't leave it there, does she? No. Let's have an argument about it, Mum. No, we do have biscuits, Mum. I've seen the biscuits. I know the biscuits. The biscuits are there, Mum. Why are you doing this? You're being so mean to me, Mum. Oh, it's awful. Oh, I'm going to die. There are no biscuits. There are no biscuits. And God's saying to us, there are no biscuits, folks, okay? What he says is true, whether we like it or not. There are no biscuits, okay? It's my little... <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> 
<laughs> okay. John 12, Jesus says, verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus' words are from the Father. It's as if God's speaking as the highest authority. He knows the answer, whatever we feel about that answer. And those who accepted these words accept Jesus. They understood. Look, verse 8, I think. Um, For you gave me the words you gave me, and they accepted me, accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. How do they know with certainty? Because they believe that what Jesus says is true. That's it. He says, I'm from the Father. Okay, you're from the Father. Verse 9, I pray for them who accept what I said, those convinced by the signs. Verse 10, let's look at it together. Blah, blah, blah. And all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Bit weird. Really, Peter, who's going to deny Jesus in a minute? The disciples who are going to run squealing and hiding? Glory is going to come to Jesus through them. And that gives me hope, doesn't it? Because the glory of God is going to come through us. And I don't know about you, but I'm a constant Peter. You know, I'm failing all the time. But Jesus doesn't, you know, he doesn't see them for their failures. He says, you know, it's about my power at work in you. And I'm going to display who I am through you. Our lives are transformed, not because we try really hard, but because he puts his spirit in us. Later, Jesus says, he's praying here, it's not just for uh, those guys, but for those that believe through them. So just as Jesus has done acts and testified, and they believe, they also do acts and testify, and they believe, and we also do acts and testify. We did it this morning. We testified what God had done in our lives this week to give glory to him to reveal him. And so the final point of what Jesus has done for us is he secured our life forever with him, with the most powerful force that there is. Verse 11 says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So we're preserved, we're guarded, we're protected by who? The Father. And there isn't anyone more powerful than him. Verse 12, Jesus talks about how he protected the disciples. He guarded them. Not one was lost. He talks about the Father has got them. You know, if you feel like in your faith, sometimes I feel a bit lost. I'm just wondering, am I really a Christian? Has God really got me? I just don't feel it right now. I don't know where I am. Who's got you? Who is more powerful, you or him? He has you. He has you. Remember a few weeks ago we had Joe up here? By Joe. In his hand with the sweeties. Kids were trying to prize them out. Kids can't get them out. Imagine someone trying to get you out of God's hand. Trying to get you out of the Father's hand. Is that ever going to happen? Well, not a chance. Um, 
Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And that was earlier in John chapter 10. So, let's finish. We're just going to read that final thing. So, what did we have? Jesus has shown the glory. He's given us his words and he's promised our protection, that we are his. So, we're going to finish by reading Romans chapter 8 together. Because it's just a beautiful passage, and so many people know it, but I think it's so relevant for today in that idea that we cannot be lost from God. We're not as powerful as him. He has got us. Um, So Romans chapter 8 is on page 1134, and it's a lovely verse if you're feeling a little bit, oh, not sure where I am with God. Has he really still got me? Um, So look in. That verse 31 says we're more than conquerors. So I'm just going to read it slowly. And as I read it, you can either follow along or you can close your eyes. And I want you to think, you know, this is God's word to you today. Wherever you feel you are in your faith, this is his word to you. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I'm just going to finish by um, giving you an opportunity. If you, today, if you're not sure about that security, maybe you just thought, well, I know a bit about Jesus, but I'd like to know more. Then we're going to pray a really simple prayer together now. We're just going to pray simply, I know, number one. And that's the bit we say, I know that I've messed up. I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve, you know, whatever you can put in me, God, because I've got things wrong in my life. Secondly, I believe. I believe you died for me. I believe you're God. I believe you came. You died on the cross. You resurrected. You're at the right hand. I believe you're praying for me. I believe you love me. 
thirdly, I commit. I want to follow you today. I'm committing to that. I am with you, Jesus. I think you're worth it. I believe that who you are, I'm going to follow you. And finally, I accept. And this is really important because this is not saying I'm going to work really hard. This is saying I accept your Holy Spirit to come into my life and help me. Because without the Holy Spirit, we're just trying really hard. So we're going to pray that. And if you want to pray, you just echo it in your heart and say amen at the end. And if today you say this is the first time, just come and chat with me afterwards. I'd love to just give you a Bible and encourage you. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I know that I've got things wrong in my life. And I'm just going to lay them before you now. And I'm sorry. Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me so much that you died on the cross for me and you took all that away. And I believe that you rose again. And I believe you're at the right hands of the Father. And I believe that you're praying for me right now. And Lord Jesus, I commit to follow you in every bit of my life today. And Jesus, I accept. I accept your Holy Spirit, your help to me. Because I know I can't do it on my own. I accept all that you have for me by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you. That you love to give us good gifts. In Jesus' name. Amen.